Parshas Bamidbar and Shavuos. The most remarkable institution that the Am Yisrael were privileged to have with them as they journeyed for 40 years in the Midbar was the Mishkan. Immediately upon the culmination of the great event of Matan Torah, the Am Yisrael began to build the home where HaKadosh Baruch Hu would take up residence in the midst of the Am Yisrael and the place where his privileged nation could come to serve him. Upon its completion, this small portable base Hamigdash became the center of the universe. And therefore, in this week's Parsha, we were commanded to treat it so. Every time the nation traveled, great care was taken by the Kohanim, so that the Aram, where the Torah was placed, should not be revealed to the public sight. It was covered with expensive royal techelis cloth before the nation set out on their journey. Yet however much we understand the importance of these commands, we are stunned when we read the punishment for those who might breach the royal protocol. They shall not come near to touch the holiness and die. Bamidbar. And they shall not come to see when the holiness is being covered and they will die. Now the attentive listener will note that these Pesukim remind us of similar admonitions that the Am Yisrael had only recently heard. Because at Har Sinai we were similarly warned. Anyone that touches the mountain shall be put to death. Warn the people lest they come near and break through to Hashem to look and many of them will perish. And there's no doubt that the admonitions in our parsha were expected to remind the Am Yisrael of the similar admonitions at Har Sinai. And the Ramban says that. He tells us that the unique and unprecedented display of the glory of Hashem that we witnessed when he rested on Har Sinai didn't end forever with that ma'amad. The Shekhinah didn't just make its way back up to the Shmei HaShamayim. Instead, it now came to rest in the Mishkan. That is the secret of the Mishkan, says the Ramban. That it was expected to be the continuation of Har Sinai. It's a remarkable thing when the Ramban is, what the Ramban is saying. And it's a tremendous lesson for us. Hashem wants Har Sinai to live forever before our eyes. It's not just something very important that happened. It's not merely an event that we remember. Hashem said that He wants Har Sinai to be reenacted in the Mishkan. The Mishkan wasn't just the Makum Avoida, the place where we brought Korbanos. It was Har Sinai. And now we can understand that all of those admonitions of coming too close in the Mishkan of touching what shouldn't be touched and of seeing what shouldn't be seen was primarily because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to know that Matan Torah never ended. And that's what David HaMelech said in Tehillim. Hashem has settled among the Am Yisrael. And how did he do that? Sinai Bakoidish. Because Har Sinai is now in the Mishkan. David said here that the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai is now found in the Kodesh Kadoshim. The sanctuary was the heart of the nation, and it was the word of Hashem, the stone luchus, and the Torah that were at the heart of the Mishkan. Hashem wants that experience of Har Sinai, the awe that we felt on that greatest day of our history, to remain forever. And actually, it's a mitzvah to Raisa. Some people mention it every day after davening. Be careful not to ever forget what you saw on that day, Hashem says. Devorim. 
and you should make known to your children. Now people ordinarily fall into an error here. They think it refers to the laws of the Torah alone, that you should teach the laws of the Torah to your children. But the Rambam says no. What it means is that you should make known to your children what happened at Har Sinai. If you take a look at the words of the Rambam in his Igeres Teman, you'll see he explains this mitzvah as follows. Hashem commanded us that we should teach about the giving of the Torah to our children. Not only to teach the Torah to our children, but to give it over to them with the experience of how the Torah was given. And that's why the Rambam adds that you have to start when your children are still young. They have to grow up on it. So that children should grow up thinking about Matan Torah. What took place on Shavuos should be taught so much to children that we should grow up with this idea always percolating in our minds. It is fitting for you, my brothers. You should bring up your children on that great scene. It means you should raise them on that. Like you raise your children on vitamins, you raise them on food, you should raise them up with the picture of Har Sinai. So it should get into their blood and into their bones. And not only to your children, and to your grandchildren as well. You hear that, Zaydas? You hear what you should be talking about to your grandchildren? Tell them all about Mamad Har Sinai. At least once in your life, fulfill the Pshutoy Shel Mikra. Tell your grandchildren about Yom Asher, Amadata Lifne Hashem Elokecha Bechoyev. About that day when you stood before Hashem at Har Sinai. And he'll ask you, how do you know Zaidi? So you'll tell him the truth, because my Zaidi told me. And when you do that, the Gemara says that it's Ki'ilu Kiblu Mehar Sinai. It's as if the child himself was standing at Har Sinai accepting the Torah. Because you're not only teaching him Torah, but you're recreating that great event in his little head. And it's Hashem's desire that Har Sinai should live forever in our minds. When the Rambam writes that Mahmad Har Sinai is the most important lesson that we should be giving over to our children and that we should make that day greater in our eyes than all other days, he's referring to much more than just the fact that we receive the Torah. It's the experience, the change that the experience made in their neshamas and in their attitudes towards the Torah. The greatest accomplishment of all that they achieved at Har Sinai was that they gained an awe, a pachad, for what Kabbalah Satoyedah means for the Am Yisrael. And therefore, we have our work cut out for us. We're expected to speak about, to propagate, to propagandize this great principle of how the Torah was given at Har Sinai in the presence of our forefathers. And actually, it's of the utmost necessity for ourselves. It, sa- it says, Hishamer lecha, you should be on guard. Be very, very careful. The most important of all guards you have to create for yourself is to make certain in your mind about what took place that great day. And not just to give lip service to it, but to be imbued with that picture of the whole Am Yisrael gathered together at the foot of the mountain. And the Rambam says, Therefore, you should make that scene more important than any scene in your life 
more important than any scene in the entire history of the world. So although the creation of the world certainly is a very important event, what could leave a person more awestruck than the creation of the world from nothing? But the scene that our nation witnessed on Har Sinai must be emphasized and, and, and aggrandized even more than Briyas Ha'oyla. That's what the Gemara in Avodah says. And it was evening, and it was morning, and it was the sixth day. It doesn't say Yom Shishi, like Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. It says Yom Hashlishi, Yom Hashishi, the sixth day, a special sixth day. That was the sixth day of Sivan. The creation of day and light. That means the creation of the world. You know when it was? Yom Hashishi. It was Yom, it was on Yom Hashishi, on the sixth day of Sivan, when the Torah was given. That's when the world was created. The world wasn't created so that trillions of bacteria should crawl over the surface of the soil. And it wasn't made so that billions of human beings should live like bacteria and crawl around and live and die. The world was created so that the Am Yisrael should stand at Har Sinai and become the Am HaToyedah. That was the purpose of the world. And therefore, are we going to let that tremendous event recede into the background of our minds? Something we celebrate once a year by eating cheesecake? Of course not, says the Rambam. You should make that day great above all greatness. The same way Hashem did. He's the one who made that day so great, like he told us. You should inquire of the ancient days that were before you. Did such a thing ever happen? Other ever happen? Was it ever heard of? Was there ever a nation who heard Hashem speak to them from the midst of a fire as you heard and they remained alive? Hashem is emphasizing to us that we should internalize the greatness of that unique day. And you should speak about that day, not only to your children and grandchildren, and you should relate the great scene of the Ma'amad in gatherings, in meetings. You hear that? Tell your cousins, your friends and your neighbors about it too. Next time you come together with your extended family, next time you're at some gathering, try to speak about Ma'amad Har Sinai. Speak about Gedulato, the greatness of that occasion, says the Rambam. Vihiduro, and how splendid it was. Shehu Amud, Shehaimuna, Sovevet Alav. That's the pillar upon which the whole Muna turns. And that's the biggest argument of all for the truth of the Torah. Now we can bring a lot of arguments. There's no lack of proofs. We could bring for the, that we could bring for the Torah. But here is the most important one. Not just that the Torah was given. And not just that we accepted the Torah, but that scene of the entire nation looking up at the mountain, thunder and lightning, a mountain that was shaking with the furnace-like fire burning on top. And then they heard the voice of Hashem. At that moment, when the heavens opened up and they began to hear the words of Hashem, Anoichi Hashem Elokecha, the words were not what they were expecting. They thought that the words of Hashem would be sweet and noble words. And they were. But they came out of the sky with a terror. 
Matan Torah was not merely poetry, sweet sentiments about righteousness and Ahavas Hashem. There was fear to it, like the Gemara in Shabbos says on the Pasuk, Shimu, listen to me, Ki Nigidim Adaber, because I am speaking royalty. What does that mean that Hashem is speaking words of royalty? So the Gemara says, every word, every utterance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was crowned with a majestic crown. It wasn't just a word of Hashem. Even that would have been too much. But it was a word that was crowned with the majesty of royal bearing. Let's say a girl was marrying a certain chosid. She didn't know his yichus, but she was told he was a nice young man from a nice family, a chosid with good character. So she agreed. But when the time came to go to the chuppah, she saw that she saw that he was waiting there wearing a royal crown on his head. I'm marrying a king? For that, I didn't bargain. That's too much godless for me. Now our nation was ready for the Torah. We were ready to accept everything. We were ready for Yehedag v'al Yavor to let ourselves be killed for the word of Hashem. We'll keep everything in the Torah. We'll never bow down to an idol no matter what. The Am Yisrael was committed to do all of that. But when the words began to issue from the mouth of the Gevura, from the mouth of Hashem, and they saw how scary it was that they weren't, that they weren't expecting, how exactly they felt it's hard to give over in words. It's something you have to think about. You have to review the scene in your head as often as you can in order to understand what it was. But one thing is for sure. When they heard the words of Hashem, it put terror into their hearts. It was something they never could have imagined. It was the first time that a nation had such an experience to see that Hashem could speak to a man and live. That's what it says. You can't see Hashem and remain alive. Shemos. We're so built that we can stand only a certain amount of excitement. Let's say someone would suddenly come up in here and grab you by the lapel and say, I'm coming as a messenger for this and this law firm to tell you that I just received news that you inherited $5 million from some great uncle you weren't even aware of. So we'd have to call out, is there a doctor in the audience? No doubt about it. Up until now, no, nobody ever believed that could be. That Hashem should speak to a man is such a trauma. It's so contrary to the organization of his body, to the functions of his body, to his instincts. It's such a shock to the human system that it was unbelievable that they could survive. And actually, they didn't survive. The Pasuk in Shira Shirim describes it. My soul went forth from me when he spoke. They fell into a swoon, a death swoon. Their souls passed out of their bodies and they were lying lifeless and had to be revived. And the Kadosh Baruch Hu rained upon them a tal shel tchia, a dew of life. What it was, I cannot tell you, but something happened. Something happened then that restored to them their lives. And the angels were involved as well. There were malachim moving among them. It was a phenomenon that nobody else ever experienced. And it was intended that way by Hashem, so that the experience of terror and awe should be so engraved on the souls of the Am Yisrael that never again could they ever forget it. And so 
when they finally arose on their feet and they were still wobbly, they weren't steady on their feet yet. And the second dibur came out of the mouth of Hashem. They were about to pass out again and they said, we can't take it any longer. We won't be able to survive. Why should we die? This great fire will consume us. They weren't afraid of an actual conflagration, but it was a voice that burned your nerves, a voice that destroyed the feelings. If we shall continue to hear the voice of Hashem our God anymore, we shall perish. They would become, they would become numbed from the experience and perish. They were so full of awe for what they had just seen that they made a special request. They said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you speak to Hashem for us. You speak because we don't want to die. We won't survive it. You come close to Hashem and listen. You should hear everything that Hashem will say and you'll tell us that Hashem spoke to you and we will listen and we will do. And we promise we'll accept everything. That's similar to the famous Naseh Vinishma, only that you'll notice that they were talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. We will listen and we will do whatever you, Moshe Rabbeinu, will tell us from now on. Because we already heard HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaking to us through you. And we're in such awe, such fear of the Devar Hashem that we accept forever that you are authorized from now to pass on to us the word of Hashem. That's what the proposition was. And from now on, Moshe Rabbeinu should be the go-between, the one we turn to for the continuation of Har Sinai. Now the question is, did they do right? Maybe they should have persisted. They should have continued to hear with their own ears the words of Hashem from Har Sinai. Why was it an error to back out? Was it an error to back out and have Moshe come, come in as a go-between? So we look at the next verse and we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave his stamp of approval to their request. Hashem heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And Hashem said to me, I heard the voice of this people and what they spoke to you. They did well in all that they spoke. All they said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, agreed with them. Everything. And Hashem said, Mi yitain, if it would only be that they should have the same mind to fear me and to keep all my commandments all the days of history, with that they would continue forever in the same frame of mind in order it should be good for them and for their children forever. And forever is what, he, is what we did. Even though they left Har Sinai to continue their wandering in the Midbar, Har Sinai never left them. Moshe Rabbeinu continued learning the Torah Sashem in the Mishkan. In the same way he learned the Torah on top of our Sinai, even the voice of Hashem in all of its thunderous majesty of Sinai was repeated every time Hashem spoke to Moshe from between the two Keruvim. And Moshe heard the voice speaking to him. Whenever Moshe entered the Mishkan to hear the voice of Hashem, he heard that same powerful voice that he had heard in Har Sinai. The same way that Moshe Rabbeinu heard Hashem's words from the midst of the fire on the mountain. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu heard Hashem's word in the Mishkan, emanating from between the Keruvim on top of the Aron. The Ramban says that the Keruvim were a red gold for that reason. 
so that they should correspond to the red gold fire that the Am Yisrael had witnessed on Har Sinai. Thus, Hashem demonstrated that the function of Sinai was that the function of Sinai as the source of the word of Hashem was now transferred to Moshe Rabbeinu and the Mishkan. And later on in our history, the Sanhedrin, in the Lishkas Hagazis, the marble chamber in the base Hamikdash, was the successor of Har Sinai. For the from for from Zion shall go forth Torah, Yeshaya. The Rambam writes the base Din Hagadol in the Lishkas Hagazis is the source of the Torah we have today. And anyone who believes in Moshe Rabbeinu and his Torah is obligated to rely on them for all decisions in Torah and to lean on them in all matters. And it didn't end there. The culmination of Mahmad Har Sinai and the moving of Har Sinai to the Mishkan and later the Lishkas Hagazis meant that a tremendous change was taking place. From now on, on the Torah would be transmitted through Moshe Rabbeinu and his successors. The unbroken chain of Chochmei Torah, who until today are our du- direct line to Har Sinai. And that is the Ratzon Hashem. That we should accept the Dvar Hashem as it comes to us through the Chachmei Torah. We are to lead all the facets of our lives according to the words of the Gedolei HaToyra, who are our Har Sinai. In Mesechta Megillah, the Gemara is bothered by something puzzling. In the days of Ezra, the Am Yisrael was beginning to build the second base of Migdash in Eretz Yisrael. Now, to build the base of Migdash is a very important event. Nothing could be more important, it seems. And so, we would think that everybody should have been there. Who wouldn't come to Har Sinai from Matan Torah? But what really happened? Not everybody came. Most of the sages didn't come. Most of the Chachmei Torah did not come to be present to give advice and to participate in the building of the Beis HaMikdash. They stayed in Bavel. Now isn't that a puzzle? Those buildings, those building the Beis HaMikdash should have sent messengers to Bavel to say, come join us. What are you staying in Chutz La'aretz for? We're building the Beis HaMikdash and you're still, sitting, you're still sitting in Bavel? But do you know why they didn't come? Because Ezra didn't go. Ezra, the chief sage, refused to budge. He wouldn't leave Bavel. And all of his disciples said, if Ezra stays, then we stay. The question is, why didn't Ezra budge? So the Gemara says, as long as his old teacher, Baruch ben Nairia, was still alive, Ezra refused to leave Bavel. The base of Migdash was the Lishkas Hagazis. And the Sanhedrin, that's Har Sinai, was waiting for him. But he had an old Rebbe. It was a Rebbe, it was a Rebbe on the verge of death. But he wouldn't leave him. Because where his Rebbe is, that's where the Shekhinah is. It's true that a few years later, after his Rebbe passed away, Ezra went to Eretz Yisrael, and the whole Anshei Knesset the Gedoyla, 120 sages, went with him. But before that, Ezra didn't forsake Bavel because Baruch ben Nairia was still alive. And there, were, there is no Har Sinai like the Rebbe who lives with Har Sinai. 
And that's what the Gemara says in Mesech the Ketubas. If a question comes up, this is how Rashi learns the Gemara. An egg fell into a plate full of, a, of farmer cheese. And the question is, are you permitted to eat the farmer cheese? Not if you're permitted to eat the egg with flesheks. No, that's not the question. An egg was cooked in a vessel, in a par vessel, and then it fell into a plate of farmer cheese or cottage cheese. Are you permitted to eat the cheese? Now that's a pretty simple question. Of course you can eat the cheese. But the Gemara says that if someone asks you that question and you have a Rebbe nearby, so keep quiet. Say, I don't pask in any shalas when my Rebbe is living nearby. We'll see soon that there are two reasons for this. But at first sight, it seems that this is because of respect for one's Rebbe. The Gemara says that it looks like apikiruta, like impudence. Even though the question is one which anyone who is competent could answer. Nevertheless, out of deference to your teacher, you must refer the question to your teacher. Superficially, this seems to be the reason. What that means is that when, you come, when it comes to Toyota, even the simplest things, that there must be discipline in the matter of rendering decisions. Even though you are competent, you yield to the one who is more competent. That's because we recognize that the guidance of the Toyota is not something that can be decided willy-nilly. Every question, every decision is part of the long chain of Kabbalah Satoyota. And the same awe and reverence the Am Yisrael had for Har Sinai and the Mishkan continued in the Lishkas Hagazis. And that same reverence is expected of us today when we approach the Toyota. In the newspapers today, the Jewish newspapers, there are people who are incompetent. Writers, half-baked Torah scholars, self-declared authorities who answer every kind of question. Some are dangerous questions. Things that could be discussed in public without harm. Things that could not be discussed in public without harm. Things that need a great deal of deliberation. And anybody with a typewriter rushes in where G'doylem fear to tread And they not only offer their opinions, but they publicize them with fanfare as valid Torah opinions. Almost every newspaper has a page, sometimes more than one page, for every Ploni Almoni Almoni, to give his opinion. Who cares what he thinks? Did he learn Mesilis and Shodim many times? Did he learn the Chayvus Lavavas from cover to cover? Shade Tshuva, the Rabbeinu Yonah, the Rambam Hilchas Tshuva, who are you to voice an opinion, Barabim? It's only the voice of Hashem that we care about. The voice we heard at High Sinai. The same voice that Moshe Rabbeinu heard in the Mishkan. And the voice that we continue to hear from the Baalei Hamisoida. The ones who pass down to us, the Toyota, true attitudes and ideals. That, that's the only voice we want to hear. Even if someone could quote one authority, but there are many others who may differ with that one safer, which he quotes. If we would rely on an, on, on an individual opinion, we would be in a sorry state. It's only the G'doylem who are able to collate, collate the different opinions. They're the ones who are competent to choose. Many times, even when one opinion is intrinsically correct, but it has to be weighed carefully. And it's only those who have the fear of Har Sinai in them who can be trusted to make decisions. Even those 
that do not seem significant for Klal Yisroel. However, the Gemara makes a statement that explains this whole matter in a different light. Not because it looks like impudence, meaning not only because it looks like impudence, but rather because he won't be aided by Hashem to speak correctly. That's an important part of what we're saying here tonight. The Torah is much more than information. It's much more than seifim, than seifim in the Shulchan Aruch and dapim in the Shas. What it really is, is Har Sinai all over again. And the same Shekhinah that came to rest in Har Sinai and then moved into the Mishkan and the Lishkas Hagazis continues to rest on the Gedoyle Yisroel. And anyone who speaks out of turn and doesn't consult them for Torah attitudes is turning away from Har Sinai. And is, he is going to stumble and fall into error. HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires that the Jewish people be loyal and humbled toward the Chachmei HaToyra. Just, just like they stood in fear and humility at the foot of Har Sinai. Now, if we want to understand what this lesson means, what it means that Matan Toira is taking place every day, even today. So we'll first make the following statement. It's not something you'll want to hear, but I'll say it anyhow. One of the biggest missteps a man can make is to use his own judgment to make decisions. Because to come to a decision in Toyota, Torah attitudes, Toyota ideals, or a decision in public policy, you must use all the facilities at your disposal. And the most important facility is the direct line to Matan Toyota. Suppose a person is lost. He's sitting in his car on the side of a highway, lost. So the common sense procedure is the first gas station or the first policeman he meets, he asks directions. He can look at a map that he has had in the glove compartment. Maybe he'll understand it a little bit, but he doesn't know which highway he is, he is on and where he's trying to get. So he must get advice. And to ignore such a simple ex- expedient of going to those who know means that this man is reckless. And he'll wander the highways all day, all day long, thinking he knows what he's doing. Now, in Torah matters, it's common sense that the great Torah authorities are the ones most competent to guide the people. But here we have to add, not only in Torah matters, but in all matters of public policy, the Gedoyle Yisrael are the ones most fitted for this function. People don't understand that it's the Gedoyle Yisrael who should be making public policy. We're not accustomed to that idea. Oh sure, we recognize a Gadol. A Gadol is someone who sits quietly somewhere in his study. And when you have a difficult question in Isser Veheter, a question in Kasher or Trefa, you go to him. That's as far as we understand a Gadol. People think, let's say, that Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and Munsi or of Moshe Feinstein on the Lower East Side, they are good for asking a question in halacha, especially when you want a leniency. You call him up and he says, yes. So now you can say it. Of Moshe Feinstein said it's mutter. That's all you want. But to ask him about a matter of public policy, it's not necessary, you think, because my head is as good as his head. You won't say that, but that's what you're thinking. And I'm being generous when I say that because many people think that their heads are better than of, of Yaakov's head or of Moshe's head. But it's a fallacy because the Gedoyle Yisrael have tens of thousands of precedents that they are studying. 
The Torah is full of precedents. The Gemara is full of precedents. And each precedent, teach, in each precedent, teaches a lesson. And even if they don't think of the source, let's say you ask Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, should the state of Israel do this or that? Then, even though he doesn't think of the blood Gemara, or the chapter that it is, but he has patterns in his mind. The Gadol has Torah patterns in his mind, established according to the precedents he studies. And when he advises, he's following the patterns of his Torah mind, the ultimate source of wisdom. He is thinking according to that great day on Har Sinai. Now it could be when you call him up on the phone, you won't hear loud booms of thunder. He's a quiet old man. But if you understand what the Matan Torah was, you stand in awe of this great man. The same way the Am Yisrael was awed when they heard the voice of Hashem speaking at Har Sinai. And it's only when a person has that Yira, that awe for Matan Torah, that he knows what it means to come to the Chachmei Torah. The wise men know that. I once stayed in the country in the summer, and I saw how the Sigatarav, he was a younger man then, a Talmud Chochem. And I saw how he would stand bent over in front of, of Moshe Feinstein. He stood there with Hachana, with Hachna, making sure to catch every word that came out of Rav Moshe's mouth. Of course, if you want to ask how you can repair your leaking radiator, don't go to the Gadol. But if you have questions relating to matters of public policy or behaviors of communities or of how to deal with people, where to move, when to go out to work, what type of work, what base Yaakov to choose for your daughter, Shiduchim, Shiduchim. There's so much we need guidance in, so we go to the Gedolim. The proper way would be not that people should initiate the plan and then go to a sage to have it approved. They should ask the sages, what plans should we initiate? That's the way to ask. We don't know anything. They should be thinking, what do you say? And, the, and really, they don't know anything. Because all of the best advice, all the best plans, and the best attitudes for success are found in the Torah. Because it all goes back to the source, Har Sinai. But what do we see? That the Baal Abatim come to Matan Torah with all the plans ready to go. You draw up a whole plan, a whole outline, and then you bring it to your sage. And you say, what do you say to this? What do you expect from the sages? They see who they're dealing with. Am I going to fight with you? They're happy. They have, an orth- they have Orthodox Jews who are loyal to them. So they might, even, they might even lose these. So they say, yes. That's not asking. Let's say there was an Orthodox organization. They even have a company of sages whom they consult. But they consult them in such a way that the sages see, it, see it's the only way. The Baalei Batim are saying, it's our way or the highway. Of course it's done with kavod and achna, but that's really what they're saying in their hearts. And so, when the sages say yes, it's like they were forced in one direction. You have to go to them and be explicit. What do you say? What should be done? Not, do you approve of this? It should be the sages who draw up the plans. And if they don't want to draw up the plans, it means no plans should be drawn up. 
It's like people who want to make a day of a demonstration for a certain cause. So who signs the proclamation? Politicians and district district attorneys. A newspaper man and a rabbi you never heard of. And there are many Orthodox Jews who become excited. They have to go out and demonstrate. And then after they printed up all the signatures already, some of them go to a gadol and say, what do you say? And this gadol, a kind-hearted man, that's why they picked him out of out to be the gadol. So, so they go to him with this plan. And he says, Farvus nisht, why not? Did this, gadol, did this gadol tell the Talmidim in his yeshiva to go out? No, he didn't tell his yeshiva to go out and demonstrate. Isn't that the best proof that he doesn't approve of it? But, those, but these people are only looking for what they want. So this kind-hearted man gives them what they want. That's not called asking from Har Sinai. That's not called Kabbalah Satoida. It's not enough to ask, because sometimes asking merely means that you want a confirmation of your own desires. Here's a man who comes to the rabbi. I'm going on a hunting expedition in the Canadian Rockies. Would you give me a bracha? The rabbi sees that this fellow is not going to listen to him anyhow. He sees that the man has already bought camping equipment and he has a big trailer ready. He has fur coats, everything. He's only asking out of a formality. That's what people do. They go to Har Sinai with their mind made up already. So the rabbi says, go. He means go even though you might get killed. That's what it means. I'm giving you permission to go and risk your life because you don't really want to know what the Torah thinks. And I say the Rockies because at least that maybe you'll understand what I'm saying. But even to Eretz Yisrael, did you ever ask, should I fly to Eretz Yisrael for my nephew's wedding? Should I take my son to Eretz Yisrael for his bar mitzvah? No, you don't ask. You do and do and do more. And that means you're abrogating the transmission of Torah from Har Sinai for yourself. You're big enough, you think. You don't need the opinion of Har Sinai. Or even worse, you think that the Torah has nothing important to say about the Canadian Rockies. The person who chooses to make his own way in life without following the Chachmei HaTorah will Chaz V'Sholem be led further and further away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even if he thinks he's walking on the path that was paved for us at Har Sinai. If he's not subjugated to the Chachamim who stand in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu, if he's not walking the path that the Chachmei Ador want him to walk on, so he'll go lost. There's no such thing as one or two people making a, sh- a shita that is opposed by the Chachmei Yisrael. I'll give you an example. Suppose somebody chooses a derech in Avodah Hashem that none of the Rosh Yeshiva and, not, and that none of the Chassidish Rebbe's favor. They don't do it. Let's say this man believes in Kabbalah. Kabbalah, there's no question that there's such a thing as Kabbalah. But the Chachmei HaToyda say that a man has to sit and learn. You have to learn Shas and Poiskim. And this man doesn't open a Gemara. He has no connection to the will of the Chachmei HaToyda. He just sits and learns Kabbalah. Any Shita that a person adopts that is not approved by the Chachmei Ador, so he should know that it's Pitoy Hayetzer. Anybody who sits and learns only Kabbalah and he never made an attempt to learn Bava Kama, Bava Metziah, Gitin, Kedushin, at least 
the yeshiva masichtas. So that person is a failure. No question about it. All the gedolim are mistaken except for I and my little group. This man is being poidish from the important principle of na'asevinishma. He's choosing his own way in life. And anyone who chooses a different way than the chokhmeh ador, than the chokhmeh ador do, should know that he's walking further and further away from the great day of matan The best way to see things in this world is by means of the eyes of greater people. The einei haidia, the eyes of the congregation. That's what the Sanhedrin is called. Because they are the ones who see. Now when a modern rabbi hears this, he rebels against it. What do you mean? Are we blind sheep that others should tell us about what we see with our own eyes? And the answer is, absolutely. That's Das Torah. Seeing the world through the lens of the Torah is the only way to see. And it's the Chochmei Ador who see. In every generation there are people who are more gifted because of their Yegiyah, their labor in Torah. And therefore even certain things that are not written openly in the Torah, you don't see it mentioned in Gemara or the Shulchan Aruch, yet they use their minds to create an opinion that ordinary people may not see. The Einei Haida is an important subject when we speak about Matan Torah. It's not merely a mashal, a form of speech. It's a limud lemaisa that we should consider them as our eyes. And we should look through their eyes. And if they tell us that they see this and this, and we look and we see nothing, or we see the opposite of what they, of what they tell us, so we should know that we are the ones that can't see. Of course, that needs dedication. It needs what is called emunas hachamim. And what's more is that it needs seichel. To understand that we are actually short-sighting, short-sighted takes wisdom. It's like children. You know that every little boy and girl thinks they see everything. They think they see as much as their parents. And really, he sees nothing. He's as blind as could be. Even when he's actually looking at something, he often doesn't see it. We have to understand that the Hamon Am, that's us. We don't see many things. And many times we see the opposite of what, we re- of what really is. And therefore, it's the Eina Haida, the Chochme Hador. When they look and they tell us that this is the way to go, not that way, and not the other way, but this way. So that, so it's up to us to understand that we must look through their eyes. And that's why it's so important to be in contact with G'day Yisrael. On every phase of our lives, in business, in health, in family affairs, in every matter that we experience in life. Not only because that's how you'll succeed in this world. That's true too. But more than that is because that's what Hashem wanted from us when we stood at Har Sinai. That we should always stand before the Chachmea Torah the same way the Am Yisrael stood at Har Sinai. With trepidation, with awe, with Hachna'ah. Subjugation of our thoughts and ideals. And just like at Har Sinai, no one would pipe up while Hashem was thundering His words. Nobody would pipe up and say, Well, maybe it should be, well, maybe it should be like this or like that. Or I think this in the right way is the right way. That's the way we should approach the Torah. That's the way we should approach the Torah today. That's what they think.
And so we come back to the warnings in Parshas Bamidbar. The admonitions about how we're expected to approach the Mishkan. And we understand that. Among other things, they were intended to create the feeling of Har Sinai. And that's because Hashem insists that the sublime feeling of awe and fear which we gain there should continue always. Although the passage of time tends to blunt the clarity of those feelings, Hashem wants the ma'amad, that Ma'amad Har Sinai to continue forever in the Mishkan, in the Beis Hamikdash, And then by the Chachmah Yisrael, who continue to be the source of Torah today. And therefore we approach the Gedoy Yisrael today with the same reverence and fear that we approached Har Sinai. It's a common misconception that the greatest accomplishments that took place at Har Sinai was that we received, we received the Torah. Although it's true, that's what we came to Har Sinai for. But Hashem had other plans too. HaKadosh Baruch who wanted to instill in us an awe of, a, of Kabbalah Satoida that would last forever. And so, Shavuos becomes the most important Yom Tov because it's the day we relive that experience of, na, of Nafshi Yatsa Bidabro. And we inscribe in our Neshamas that great scene of a Kabbalah Satoida with all of its awe and fear and we thereby prepare ourselves and our families for the Kabbalah Satayda that we are expected to experience all year long. As we turn to the Chachmei Atayda in all the details of our lives, attempting to live according to the will of Hashem. And He revealed to us at Har Sinai. Good Shabbos.